From a 50-state survey conducted by AFCO, only five states will immediately adopt the changes to the pet food label modernization. That is, I mean, out of 50 states, that is daunting for our industry because we've spent a lot of time and resources working to put together, we believe through even consumer surveys, what is the best label for consumers? And when we make these changes as an industry, we need all states to adopt it. Welcome to More Than Kibble, a podcast by Pet Food Processing. Join us each month as we go behind the bowl sharing expert insights on the latest pet food and treat trends, best practices, challenges, and everything in between. This is Kimberly Klima, editor of Pet Food Processing Magazine. On this episode of the More Than Kibble podcast, I'm joined by Dana Brooks, president and CEO of the Pet Food Institute. Dana has worked in government relations for 22 years representing a range of agricultural and food interests. And in her role with PFI, Dana advocates for a transparent, science-based regulatory environment for the pet food industry. Welcome to More Than Kibble, Dana. Thank you. It's great to be here. So before we dive into the main topics of this episode, which will include pet food labeling modernization and the challenges that go along with that, first tell us a little about the Pet Food Institute. Great. Thanks for asking. I'm really proud to be the CEO of Pet Food Institute. Uh, PFI, as we call ourselves, um, has been around since 1958, so 65 years uh, in existence it came about for a need for the pet food industry to have an association like to help them with regulatory and government relations measures in Washington, D.C., and also to be the voice for the industry. And with that means government relations, regulatory affairs. We represent about 90% of pet food manufactured in the United States. So it's a really great industry. It's a highly emotive industry. It's also very important that, um, as you said, that we are science-based. We work for transparency and to modernize the industry, but we don't compromise on food safety and complete and balanced nutrition either. So one of the primary functions is to advocate for legislation and regulations. So you and your team recently participated in Pet Week on Capitol Hill. Can you tell us a little more about that? week and that event and and what went into that? That has been one of my favorite receptions since I worked on Capitol Hill. When I was a congressional staffer in 2000, I heard about Pet Night on the Capitol Hill and it was a hot ticket to get. And I just loved it. And it was really exciting for me personally when I came in at PFI, was given the opportunity to be a co-host. And, you know, I've seen the evolution of Pet Night on Capitol Hill you know, it's been up and down at times. There's a lot of things that influence it, but also, you know, during COVID, it's a complete, you know, lack of touch and seeing people. So excited to have it back. And then with that, during COVID, the co-host and sponsors decided to extend it to Pet Week on Capitol Hill with a variety of different activities from doing fly-ins. So like Pet Advocacy Network did a great fly-in. So fly-in means you take your membership to meet with members of Congress and their staff and one-to-one. Pet Food Institute, we held our 
uh, board meeting, an annual meeting that week. So we were able to bring our members, our producer members, the manufacturers into Washington, D.C., and some of our associates as well for our annual meeting. And we were able to host members of Congress and members of government, like the U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador, to speak to our membership. And, you know, it's just a great week to highlight the importance of pets from the human-animal bond, the needs like the nutrition that we provide, as well as different programs that are there to support people with pets as well, from Wounded Warriors for Pets, um, the Paws Act for Women Shelters or for Domestic Violence, like you name it. It's a, a beautiful week to be able to highlight that. And then we add some fun with it by having special guests like Winston, the 2022 national champion dog. Um, man, talk about a hit. He's the highlight of the whole week walking around Capitol Hill with his little tie on and having pictures with members of Congress. It's a tough time right now in Washington, D.C., just in case you didn't know, if you don't turn your television on at all. So it it's stressful for members of Congress and the staff and to be able to see dogs and cats and kittens and puppies. You just see people so happy no matter what was going on. And that was just a week or so before a government shutdown was looming. But it was an opportunity for those uh, congressional offices to come and remember the importance of pets having our lives and why this week was important to us as well. So it's a win-win for the industry, for members of Congress and their staff, and hopefully some animals were adopted that night as well. So it's a pretty cool week. Well, I definitely appreciated my invitation to come to D.C. and enjoy that pet night. Um, it, it's definitely a first. I have never networked with dogs and cats before and met such a distinguished gentleman in Winston, the French Bulldog. But it was definitely a great event to be a part of and to see the industry in action from that side. So obviously, the fun part of your job involves spending time with dogs and cats. But, you know, your primary part of your job is advocating for them and for their owners and other members of the industry. So when it comes to advocating for legislation and regulations that support the industry, the pet food label modernization, I would think, would be one of those things at the top of the list. So why don't you tell us a bit about the PFLM and how it could benefit the industry as well as consumers? Absolutely. Happy to do that. First, I'll give a little background for the people that are not familiar with pet food label modernization. Since 2015, uh, PFI has worked with the American Association of Feed Control Officials, also known as AFCO, to look for initiative to modernize the pet food label. I don't know, when you go into a grocery store sometimes or into a pet store, it can be a little bit overwhelming, especially if you're a new pet owner, first-time pet owner, and you want to go buy the best, the very best, like you love your pet and you want to make sure you're getting what they need uh, nutritionally and for their life stage. And sometimes it's a bit complicated or confusing. So the purpose of this initiative is to increase transparency and consumer understanding of the pet food label. Um, so we work together with other industry associations as well as AFCO and the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, to look at how we can make improvements 
to the label, create a consistent label understanding to make sure it's very clear on the packaging from the location of information and font size. So when you go in, it's just, it's very obvious where any pet food that you purchase, the information you're looking for is at the same space on the package. Again, remember this started in 2015. So almost a decade of working through this measure So the new model label registration requires specific information to appear on the bottom section of the principal display panel or PDP, which is a panel that is most likely to be displayed, presented, shown, or examined on a display for retail sale. So again, it's the commonplace for products. So consumers will be able to see this. Well, easier said than done. You know, um, it just has taken quite a long time to get consensus on exactly what we need, where we need it, and how it should be displayed. From fax box that's similar to what's on human food, to being able to identify the intended use for the pet food, meaning is that for an adult uh, pet or is it for a puppy or a kitten? So all of that's gone into place in, in August of this year, at the AFCO annual meeting, membership adopted pet food label mod regulations to be, you know, um, be included in the 2024 AFCO official publication. So we're at the, you know, end of the putting it together process and we'll start on the implementation process, which is going to be a challenge. So speaking about those challenges, what are they? What do we have ahead? And what are some of the stumbling blocks that the industry could face coming up to get all of this implemented? Well, as you're aware, but many people are not aware, pet food has to be registered or approved for sale in nearly all states. And those states have feed laws that are on the books to give them guidance or actually laws on how you can label your package. From a 50-state survey conducted by AFCO, only five states will immediately adopt the changes to the pet food label modernization. That is, I mean, out of 50 states, that is daunting for our industry because we've spent a lot of time and resources working to put together, we believe through even consumer surveys, what is the best label for consumers? And when we make these changes as an industry, we need all states to adopt it, not a couple of states because we are in large distribution centers. So just think about you know, those big box stores that may be a retail for food and clothing. I won't say any names like, you know, maybe Walmart or something like that. And they have large distribution centers. Well, we can't put pet food or treats in that distribution center and go, oh, but we can't put this product in. I'll pick on uh, my home state of, of Arkansas and say, well, Arkansas wants, they're not a problem, but <laughs> just, you know, say um, we, Arkansas doesn't, doesn't, hasn't approved this label, so we can't send it to Arkansas. But because the other states or surrounding states, maybe all in the distribution center, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, they are adopting it. So that is our challenge. If it's not across the United States, then it's going to be extreme disruption in the supply chain then you could have 
customers or pet parents that live on border of states, they go to one state and they see a package that says it one way and the exact same product in another state is different, then it leads to absolutely polar opposite of what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to make it more transparent, simpler, easier to read, uh, clearly identifiable on the package. But we could be in this challenge if all states don't adopt it at the same time that where does that leave us as manufacturers trying to put the product on the shelf? And more importantly, what what is it going to do for consumers or uh, purchasers? Because it's going to be even more confusing. So about three years ago, we identified this as a challenge that uh, as we've been working on it, we've been solely focused on how to improve the label and working within AFCO. And the question came up, well, how are we going to ensure this is approved and accepted in all the states. And that became peeling back the layers of the onion to really discover how disjointed and how fast the problem is going to be for us to get 50 state approval. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really going to be a challenge for us. I mean, AFCO creates model bills with the expectation states will adopt these measures into state feed laws. But what we've done is we've looked into different state laws. There's only one state that immediately adopts changes every year through AFCO. And then we looked at every single state feed law. And then there's one state that still is on the books for 1977 AFCO official publication. So as we worked through this, we just learned a lot that has left us a little disappointed in looking for how we can proceed forward and our risk for the future with different uh, passages of different changes to the label or to pet food if we don't have complete state approvals. So it sounds like obviously the pet food label modernization isn't the only thing that could be affected by the structure of of pet food industry, the state versus federal. So um, is there any plans to start making some adjustments? And, you know, I know that sounds like a pretty daunting task, but where would you start to get all the regulations in line so that in the future, when something like this comes up, you can adopt it a lot quicker? Now, this has kept me awake a lot at night. Once we started through this process of pet food label mod, it really opened up what I thought was a Pandora's box of challenges that we currently are challenged with a lot of issues with state by state label approval. A lot of that can be at the discretion of a single individual and they can make decisions that impact a company that in turn trickles into the supply chain which impacts whether the, uh, again, the purchaser can buy that product. I mean, the best way I can describe it today is a whack-a-mole process. And as you know, we think about it, how can we continue to operate and do what we need to do for, uh, for the pets that we're trying to feed? And it certainly has created uh, a ripple and probably a little consternation and anxiety among, you know, the states. We started floating the idea of maybe one single federal agency that has oversight over pet food. Currently, FDA, Center for Veterinary Medicine, is our uh, federal regulatory body. So we still have to be compliant. They are the federal authority for us. 
But then you layered into this the state-by-state feed laws and label review process and registration fees. I was like, what is... (laughs) what is this system? I thought I'd seen everything, but I'd never quite experienced anything like this. So, I mean, we're in the process of socializing this with our other associations, as well as working with state departments of agriculture to try to come together for a way that we can improve the state process. And then also how can we have, you know, maybe one federal governing body for things that are most important to pet manufacturers to create that consistency and transparency with this modernizing of the label for our pet owners. So um, that's it's, it's something that we're seriously considering. It's things that we're working on today. It's not an easy process. And of course, as you can imagine, I've upset a few people and upsetting the apple cart. But my feeling that we can continue along this road where we're, it's the same thing day after day, but this industry has changed and we want to be able to continue to innovate and modernize to be able to bring the best products to market in all 50 states as well as internationally. And our companies are bigger it's companies that even aren't the largest, but are still global as well. And they sell international And we need to make sure that our own intrastate and interstate regulatory system is not hindering, you know, manufacturing and um, consumer choice for all pet parents. Well, it sounds like there is quite a little work to be done on your part and other members throughout the industry. But it also sounds like there is opportunity there for the industry to work together, to collaborate, to look for the same goals in the long run and and work together to get it done. So I appreciate you coming on today, Dana, and talking with us about this issue. And perhaps we'll have to have you back again in in another six months or so and see, see how progress is being made. But I appreciate you sharing the issues that are affecting the industry today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Kim, and appreciate Pet Food Processing taking some time with us. And absolutely stay tuned, and uh, maybe we'll be a little further down this path in about six months. Well, thanks so much. And thanks for tuning in to More Than Kibble. Be sure to uh, listen to upcoming episodes that highlight more hot topics affecting the pet food and treat processing industry. Thanks for tuning in to the More Than Kibble podcast. Find other episodes on our website at petfoodprocessing.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.